Word of God. Exodus 33:17 through 34 verse 9 is our Old Testament reading. Wonderful passage here in Exodus where Moses asked to see the glory of God and God declares his name to him and uh, reveals his character to him. Exodus 33, starting at verse 17. This is the word of God, so let's give it our careful attention. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please, show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And our sermon text in the New Testament, John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. As I said earlier, as we were uh, about to do our confession of faith early in the service, we're taking a little break uh, from our series in Matthew, um, just uh, approaching Christmas, these four weeks heading up to Christmas. And I would like to, to spend this, this time together in these services uh, thinking about Christ's identity, who, who Jesus is. Um, there's, uh, that, that's at the heart of what Christmas is about. Who is Christ? Uh, who is this Jesus that we are celebrating? and worshiping God for giving us. There's lots of ways you can answer the question, who is Jesus? Um, In a sense, the whole Bible is the answer to that question. 
you could say. Um, but in particular, over these weeks, what I'd like to look at together is uh, the threefold office of Christ as our mediator. Since the time of Calvin and the Reformation, at least, and there's even hints of this earlier with Thomas Aquinas, the great Catholic medieval theologian, but there, there's, we, we, we've, the church has looked at the work of Christ and his, through these, this lens of his offices, three offices, prophet, priest, and king. And I just want to spend these weeks unpacking the riches of what it means for you that Christ is your prophet and your priest and your king. These things are vital for us. Uh, so this morning, we're going to begin with looking at Christ as our prophet. And it's with that in mind now that, that I'd like to read our sermon text, John chapter 1, 14 through 18. So let's give our attention to God's holy word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Amen. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's ask Him to bless it to us now. Let's pray. Gracious Lord God, as we come to Your Holy Word to consider Christ our prophet, we pray that He would indeed be our prophet even now, revealing to us by His Word and by His Spirit who He is in all His glory and sufficiency as our prophet. Lord, teach us Your Word. Instruct us in, in who You are and, and strengthen us up, build us up in faith in Christ. And Lord, we pray that You would sweeten to our spiritual taste every precious comfort of the Gospel in our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, any, what, what, is, what is a prophet? Uh, anyway, um, what, what's a prophet do? We don't have prophets, really, in our contemporary culture. Um, if you have yellow pages, which we might not have yellow pages in our contemporary culture either, but if you have them and you try to look up the section on prophets, you probably won't find it there. Um, Prophets aren't a staple in our, in our society. Uh, if you look up uh, a, a town's local business listings on their website, they're probably not going to show up in the drop-down menu. Of um, you know, here, here are the local prophets. If you need some, some, some truth, go, go check them out and see what they have to say. Um, um, the, the president doesn't have a prophet that he consults, calls up to ask um, what, what he should do, or a prophet, for that matter, who comes and confronts him about what he should do. Um, so... What is, what is a prophet? It sounds like a very distant word. It's an Old Testament word, right? It's, it's not something that immediately makes our hearts warm with its relevance to us. What is a prophet? But the statement that we don't really have prophets in our contemporary culture is, is actually only partly true, isn't it? Um, we don't have people that we call prophets, or perhaps call themselves prophets, at least not many of them. Um, but we do have plenty of people who take on that role and who we look to to take on that role. The, the prophet's job in the Old Testament was to speak the truth, 
to say, this is what God has to say. Um, at least that's what the good ones would, would do. They, they'd tell you the truth about what God had to say. There are plenty of other prophets who would uh, tell you what you wanted to believe was true. But, but a prophet's job was to tell you, here's what the truth is. And there are plenty of people in our culture doing that, aren't there? Right? Here's what you should believe. Here's what you should think. Here's what's true. Scientists, doctors, politicians, professors, journalists, therapists, musicians, movie stars, they're all saying, here's, here's what the truth is. Here's what you should think. Here's how you should live. Here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. And, and, and it's not just that we have all these people in our culture doing this, um, but we do this for ourselves. Our, we, we make ourselves our own prophets. Well, I'll decide what's true. I'll have my truth, thank you. And, and I'll follow, uh, you know, whatever I think is right, whatever I think is wrong. And this is often the message that the prophets around us are actually telling us to do. Make yourself your own authority. What's true? You determine that for yourself. Tell yourself who you are. Tell yourself what's wrong with you. Tell yourself how to fix it. Tell yourself the way of salvation. Tell yourself who God is. So the question... What's a prophet is a very relevant question. And the question, who is your prophet, is a very relevant question. Who is the one that you listen to? Who do you trust? Who do you follow? Who do you believe? Who's your authority? The Bible tells us that the answer to that question is Jesus. That he is the perfect and final and best prophet the one who speaks the truth, who reveals to us without any error at all, with full authority, who God is, what's wrong with us, and what the way is to be saved. That He is the only authority who's worthy of your complete trust because He is absolutely true and He is incredibly good. This is what we are seeing in John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, in John 1.14, which we're going to hone in on and focus on um, during this, this, this morning's sermon, John is uh, describing for us Christ as our prophet. He doesn't use the word prophet. He, he talks about Christ as the word. He's describing Christ as the revelation of who God is um, and the glory of his grace and his truth. He, he shows us Christ here as our prophet, as the true word, who says, here's who God is in all his grace and all his truth. So let's unpack this, this verse together. John 1, verse 14. The first, the first point that we need to see here is that Jesus is the eternal Word. Jesus is the eternal Word. Why should you listen to Jesus? Why, why, why should you accept His authority? Um, submit to Him as the one who speaks with complete authority. Well, it's, it's, he's not just another teacher. He's not just an, another man, better than some, but still any, uh, just, just another human being. He is the eternal God. Uh, he is the Word made flesh, as John begins in verse 14. This Word that he's talking about here, he's spent several verses now describing back in chapter uh, 1, verse 1 here. He says this is the Word who was uh, in the beginning, uh, the Word who was with God, and the Word who was God. This word that John is describing is not an impersonal force or an abstract idea. It's God himself, the personal God. Before space, before time, this word existed. This Son of God existed for all eternity. Um, John starts his gospel 
like this. Why does he start off? Right? He's, he's, he's describing this, this idea of this eternal Word of God. And, and he's taking us up to some dizzying heights of theology. Um, he's saying something, I think, like, like this. He's saying, I have a friend I'd like you to meet. Um, he is, uh, he, he's the most wonderful person I've ever met. He's, uh, he's, um, he changed my life. He, uh, he, he saved me. And I'd like to introduce you to him. But before I do, there's something you need to know about this friend. He's no ordinary man. He, he looks on the outside like an ordinary man, but, uh, but, but uh, he, he speaks uh, and, and you hear God talking. He, he's, actually, he's actually God himself. Everything you see him do is showing God to you. Everything you hear him say is revealing God to you. He's not giving you a secondary account about God. He is God speaking to you. John gives color to this picture in verse 18. Uh, he says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. John, John is giving us this picture of how close the Father and the Son are, how close this Word that he's talking about is to the Father, to God. And uh, he's saying he's in the bosom of the Father. It's such an intimate picture of this relationship between the Son and the Father for all eternity in perfect knowledge of each other, exhaustive, complete knowledge of each other, complete happiness in their relationship together. Um, uh, later, later in this gospel, one of the apostles, John, who's, who's writing this gospel, is going to be leaning against the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper, reclining against him, leaning back on his chest as they're eating. It's, it's a picture of, of the closest possible friendship, intimacy and trust. Um, and and uh, it's, it's a picture of the relationship Jesus has with his Father, as described here in verse 18. He's in the bosom of the Father. This is the relationship he has with God. We might say he's in his heart. He's in the embrace of his Father. Uh, so the point, no one knows the Father like Jesus does. No one knows the Father like the Word of God does. And so when the Word of God comes to us, what we are receiving is nothing less than God's very heart laid open to us. John Calvin writes this, commenting on these verses. He says, we have the breast of God, as it were, laid open to us in the Gospel. God has opened up His heart by sending the Word who was in His very heart. Everything that God is, is revealed to us in this Word, in this Son. So should you listen to him? Should you trust what he has to say about God? Well, absolutely. He speaks with perfect authority. You, you can't look at Jesus and say, well, maybe he's right about God. Maybe he's wrong about God. No, he's giving you the very heart of God. Trust what he has to say. So he's the eternal word. Second thing we see in verse 14 is that Jesus is the enfleshed Word. He's the eternal Word. He remains the eternal Word forever, God, but He's also the enfleshed Word. At the same time, He becomes, He takes on, takes on flesh. Listen to how John puts it in, in John 1, verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. One commentator describes this verse as a bomb going off. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. The eternal God became a man. 
He came down from heaven, took on our flesh, didn't stop being God, but, but came down, took on that, that human form, um, and, and not just an outward form, not just a temporary thing, but a true human nature with a true body and a, a, a real mind and a real heart and a real human soul. He had all that to himself, took it to himself. And uh, this, this is what we see in, in Jesus Christ. God and man, two distinct natures, one person, forever. He never stops after this being God and man forever. It's a staggering truth. It's a, it's a truth that's hard to wrap our minds around. We cannot wrap our minds around it. Charles Wesley, one of the great hymn writers of the 18th century, tried to capture something of the wonder of the mystery described in these verses. He said, let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree, to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. What a wonder. What a mystery. God became flesh. And what good news as well. This is um, what J.R.R. Tolkien called the eucatastrophe of history. You know that word, eucatastrophe? It's a word Tolkien made up, uh, but uh, he, he, he's, he's coining that word. He starts with the word catastrophe. What's a catastrophe? Kids, a catastrophe is when you're planning on a wonderful picnic in the sunshine, and then suddenly it gets rained out unexpectedly, and you're crushed. Your day's ruined. A, a catastrophe is when, when, you're, when something suddenly goes wrong, and when, when everything suddenly goes wrong. Think of catastrophes in our nation's history. 9-11. Out of the blue, everything's going wrong. Catastrophe is Hiroshima, Japan. Right? Suddenly, everything is just going horribly wrong. What's, what's a eucatastrophe? It's, it's, uh, Tolkien takes the, the, the Greek word, uh, the Greek prefix E-U, U, and he attaches it to that word catastrophe. The, the prefix E-U means, means good. So Tolkien's saying that the, the incarnation of Christ, God becoming a man, is, is a good catastrophe, where instead of suddenly everything's going wrong, he's saying suddenly it's when something unexpectedly, everything starts going right. When something that's sudden and good happens, instead of an explosion of grief and sorrow and pain, it's an explosion of joy and happiness and hope and peace and blessing. It's, uh, th- think of that moment when Mary Magdalene is standing outside the tomb of Jesus and she thinks that he's dead and she's talking with a gardener, wondering where her Lord's body is. And then Jesus says, Mary, and suddenly everything's right and good again because Jesus is alive. That, that, that's a eucatastrophe. And, and that's what the incarnation of Christ is. God has become man. And suddenly there's hope and there's good news and there's life and there's, there's your sin and misery and Satan and death. Their days are over. The gospel's breaking in. That's what... Is happening in the incarnation as God takes on flesh. Who ever would have thought of such a thing? The wonder of it all, of this glorious mystery, is heightened even more when you look at the word that John uses, particular word he uses to describe the incarnation here. He says, the word became 
flesh. It's interesting. He doesn't say the Word became man. The Word became flesh. Why flesh? What does that emphasize, that, that Word? Sometimes in the Bible it emphasizes human sinfulness. That can't be what John has in mind here because he affirms uh, that Jesus is sinless. So it's not emphasizing any kind of sinfulness. What is it emphasizing? Weakness. Frailty. Jesus did not become a superman. He didn't become an emperor or a king or one of the great mighty men of the earth, one of the great heroes of the earth. He became flesh. Eternal God became flesh. Weak, creaturely, humble, frail. Um, Jesus would fall and skin his knee. Eternal word became man and he's skinning his knee on a rock that he created. Jesus, the Word of God, becomes man and he gets sick, gets cold, gets sick, suffers, gets tired, gets weak, gets hungry and thirsty. He gets too hot sometimes in the sun. He gets too cold sometimes at night. Um, his voice would get worn out after preaching. Right? He, he's a man. He, he's flesh with all that means. Saves sin. Um, uh, perhaps his hair showed signs of turning gray even as he was uh, 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 towards the end of his earthly ministry. Every frailty and pain that is common to human flesh, he felt and knew the eternal Word of God. He took that on. Why would he do a thing like that? Why would he humble himself like this, choose to do this? John gives us a big clue in the next words in the verse. The Word became flesh, he says, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is, uh, is an important word. It's the same word for tabernacle. You could translate it as the word tabernacle among us, the word set up a tent among us. Now, we think of tents, we think of camping, uh, but when you're in the Bible's world, you think of a tent, you think of the tabernacle, you think of the Old Testament, you think of God setting up his tent of meeting with his people, uh, 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 with Moses and the people there in Exodus. God setting up this place, this tent where he's going to be with his people, where he's going to fill it with his glory and he's going to bless his people from that, that place. This is the place where God comes and lives with his people and travels around the wilderness with his people and says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people forever. So when John writes here, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, he's, he's, he's alluding to this, this truth that the word became flesh. Why? So that he could be with us as our God. So that, that, that he, could, he could have a place with us where his glory dwells, where he meets us and shows himself to us and, and, and blesses us and, and, and saves us. So as, as staggering as the, the fact of the Incarnation is on its own, just the bare fact God becoming man is, this, this makes it even more so that God became man so that He could be with us forever. Show Himself to us. John writes about this here in his Gospel. He also writes about this in one of his letters that he writes, 1 John chapter 1. He describes how they saw Jesus. He, he opens that letter saying, we, we saw Him we heard him. Uh, we touched him, this eternal word of God. Uh, he, he made himself plain to us. He made himself obvious to us, unmistakable to us, as the word made flesh. He is the one who reveals God to us in the fullest and best possible 
way. But as John's describing this here, perhaps you're tempted to respond to him like this. Well, that's all fine for you to say, John. You did see Jesus. You, uh, you uh, heard his voice audibly with your ears. You heard his voice. Uh, you went fishing with him. You ate meals with him. You heard him weep at the tomb of Lazarus. You embraced him. You, you, saw, you saw the unique contours of his face. You, you knew the color of his hair. John, uh, you, you, you saw him suffer. You saw him die on the cross. You saw him alive a few days later. Um, so maybe you can say, God's with us, and we've known it, and we've seen it, and we've touched it. But is Jesus that for me? I've never seen him like you got to see him. Does God reveal himself to me through this word, even as he did to you? How would John answer that, do you think? I think he would say this. First, I think he would tell you, the eyes of faith are more reliable than the eyes of sight. The eyes of faith are more reliable than the eyes of the flesh. How many times did it happen that John and his disciples are looking with their eyes at Jesus in front of them, and they do not get what he's saying? They don't understand. They don't grasp what his kingdom's about. They don't understand uh, 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 um, um, what it is he's saying. It's not seeing Jesus with your physical eyes that gives you saving faith. It wasn't then in his earthly ministry, and it's not now. It's seeing him by faith. It's when your heart sees him and knows him and trusts him. And here's what he's saying. That's how God reveals himself to us in him and Dear brothers and sisters, you and I can see Christ this way more clearly now by faith than any of the disciples could before Jesus' resurrection. Second, I expect John would tell you that Jesus is still God with us. He's still the enfleshed Word of God who dwells with us. In fact, even more so now than during his earthly ministry. The incarnation didn't end when Jesus went to heaven, ascended to his Father. Um, he, he still dwells with us by his spirit. John, John writes a lot about this as he describes Jesus' teaching in John 14. He says this, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. And then Jesus says in, in John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So Jesus is not absent from us. He's absent in the body, but he's present with us by his spirit. He ministers to us and he continues to be the word of God, revealing God to us by his spirit. Now, he, he, he gave us the spirit so that we could know him and see him by faith. Um, the Spirit takes the record of who Jesus is, right, in the Gospels, in the Word of God. And, and, and the Spirit takes the truth of who He is, and he, and, he, and he shines that light into our hearts to give us the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when you open your Bible, we say, oh, I wish I could hear His voice. Open your Bible. His voice is right there. He speaks with the Word, uh, by His Spirit, right into your heart. Come to the worship service. Hear a sermon. What's happening? As the word of God is faithfully preached, Christ himself, by his spirit, is speaking to the hearts of his people. 
That's, that's what's happening. We, we, we wish we could sit down and have a meal with Jesus. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? To have been there the Last Supper. What are we doing this morning? Who's present with us by the Spirit as we sit down at the Lord's Supper together? We're having a meal with Him. He's not absent. He's with us by His Spirit. He's the one serving you communion. He's the one that you're feeding on in communion. He is not an absent Christ. He continues to speak to you. He's present with you in your very heart by His Spirit, revealing Himself, revealing His Father to you. Third thing I expect John would do is remind you that in addition to all this, you will one day see your prophet, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, face to face. You will see Him with your very eyes. Touch Him. Hear His voice audibly in your very ears. The faith will be made sight when He speaks His all-powerful Word and raises you from the dead on the day of judgment. He will bring you to Himself and he uh, He will hear His voice and you will stand face to face with the living God in glory. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, the Word of God, our prophet, is speaking powerfully and truly and clearly to us. Are you listening to Him? Are you paying attention to what He's saying in His Word to you? All right, we've, we've seen Jesus is the eternal Word. We've seen He's the enfleshed Word. We've seen He reveals God to us so clearly. But what's the message? What is He revealing about God to us? This brings us to our third point, which is this. Jesus is the best Word. Jesus is the best word. What is the message that Jesus, the word of God, God's prophet to us brings? Verse 14 continues. It says, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. The message that God is speaking to us, revealing to us in Jesus is the message of his glory, which is full of grace and full of truth. This is alluding back to that text we read earlier in Exodus, Exodus chapter 33 uh, and 34. Moses there on the mountain, Lord, show me your glory. Yes, he asked God. God says, I'll show you my glory, but I'm going to show you my back. You can't see my face. No one can see my face and live, but I'll show you, I'll show you something of my glory, uh, something of, of, of who I am. Um, and then God passes before him and he tells him his name, the Lord the Lord God, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God says, I'll show you my glory, and he tells him his name, who he is, reveals the glory of his gracious, faithful, true character. And in Christ, it's the same message. The message hasn't changed. It's the same name, same glory of God, but just revealed more fully. The God full of grace and full of truth. As John, John talks about this in verses 16 and 17, he describes the relationship between what God revealed to his people through Moses and what he reveals to his people through Jesus Christ. He says, um, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's saying the, the law came through Moses and there was grace there, much grace, covenant of grace, 
uh, but, but something fuller, something better, something increased, a uh, hundred times over has, has come. The same grace, but now it's uh, grace on top of grace, grace in place of grace. We're, we're seeing not the Father's back, we're actually seeing His face now in Jesus Christ. As 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, we've seen the light of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. He's, he's bearing His heart to us. John focuses our attention on two aspects of this glory here. First, he says, Jesus is full of grace. Grace is demerited favor, right? It's getting, what, it's getting the opposite of what you deserve. Our sins deserve God's wrath. God instead sends Jesus to give us his grace. Um, our sins deserve anything but kindness, but God lavishes kindness, pours out kindness on us in Jesus Christ. Uh, he shows us loyal love. He shows us forgiveness for our sins. He flings wide open the doors of the kingdom of heaven to those who were rebels against it and calls them to repent and come in and find grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus is full of this grace for us. He's saturated with it. Every inch of him is saturated with this grace. As the ocean's full of water, Jesus is full of grace. This is what he came to give us and to show us and reveal to us as he laid down his life for our sins, as he rose from the dead for us. This is the constant message that God is sending to his elect through Jesus Christ. He is full of my grace. Second, we're told that Jesus is full of truth. Later on in John 14, Jesus will say that um, he is the truth. He's full of truth. He is the truth, saying the same thing. He is the perfect, reliable, dependable, accurate revelation of God. Everything in Jesus is true. Everything is completely reliable. And he is the final word on who God is. He reveals God to us. There's no tension here between the graciousness of God and the truth of God. As he reveals the grace of God to us, that's what we know to be true and reliable because of his word. And so we find ourselves, uh, as, we, as we close now, uh, asking right, right, right back where we started, asking the same question that we, we started with. Who is the one who tells you what is true? What's the message? What are you relying on? What word are you listening to? What, what word tells you? Who tells you how to think? How to live? Who brings you wisdom when you're confused? Baffled about what to do? Who brings you counsel when you are unsure? Who brings you a word of encouragement when you're discouraged? Uh, uh, who teaches you about your sin and about holiness and about God and the way of salvation? Who, who you are and, 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 and God's purpose for you? Listen to Jesus. He is the prophet, the perfect prophet, the word of God for us. The eternal God in the bosom of the Father, made flesh, dwelling with us forever. That, that's what we're celebrating this, uh, this Christmas season. And he reveals God to us, full of grace, full of truth. You're not going to find a more reliable word. You're not going to find a better word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for revealing yourself to us through Jesus Christ, our prophet. Lord, we pray that he would take by his spirit, take this word and write it on our hearts. 
and give us faith in Him. Give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.